Hello, everybody. Thanks for listening to Shop Talk Show. This week, we have two lovely sponsors, both conferences, and we're going to tell you all about them. One of them is Environments for Humans, and they've been a longtime sponsor for us. They're sponsoring their Artifact Conf coming up super soon here in Austin. But if you miss that, there's another one coming up. But Dave will be at that, Trent Walton, Jeremy Keith. It's going to be sweet. Go to artifactconf.com. And BDConf, BDConf is Breaking Development Conf, Beyond the Desktop. So uh, they're a brand new sponsor for us, but uh, uh, longtime friends. So so Gene and, and the gang over there, pretty, pretty sweet. That one's coming up in Nashville, July 28th through 30th. And if you missed that one, they have another one coming up in Orlando, too. So use for either of these conferences, use coupon code SHOPTALKSHOW to save 100 bucks off. So we'll tell you more, more about them more in the show. For now, let's kick things off. Shopamaniacs, you are listening to the 112nd episode of the Shop Talk Show, a podcast all about front-end design, development, and other things. I'm Dave Rupert, and with me is Chris Coyer. Hey, the internet. Thank you for listening to the show. And with us, we have Tim Murtaugh. Hey, Tim, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. I love the horn sound. We have um, Tim's all the way from New York City, right? Yeah, we make really good salsa out here. Yeah, nailed it. Known for its salsa. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> so, so, but you, but you literally are in New York, right? And have a little two, 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 two person shop that you do web design and development with. Yes, I am literally in New York. I am on Madison Avenue and Thirty Second Street. Um, and my partner Mike Pick and I have a small firm called Monkey Do where we uh, work with small to medium-sized clients, usually doing um, custom publishing work. People want to publish a magazine. People want to publish you know, a video library. People want to publish just about anything. Um, that's kind of our niche. Oh, okay. So, uh, interesting. So, and, and some of those that just as relevant to this show, I mean, not that they're not all relevant, but stuff like Scientific American and stuff. And then I think I probably know you th- because you worked on a list apart and event apart. Yeah. Yep. Definitely. Yep, yep. And are those, are those like long time gigs? It, it seems like, I mean, I know you do some writing for a list apart as well, but it was, it was a kind of like you're, we're hiring you to build, help us build out the sites, but then also maintain them over a long period of time. Well, I've known Jeffrey Zeldman, the publisher of a list apart, if anybody doesn't know for um, coming up on 10 years now. And it was about five years ago. He was, um, he was looking for somebody to take on some some of the kind of week to week publishing uh, responsibilities on the site. So I came on and became one of the people who did that. And then two or three years ago, he got serious about wanting to redesign and rebuild the site from scratch. Um, at the time, it was running on Expression Engine One, which uh, was feeling which uh, was feeling really long in the tooth. Um, this was like a year and a half ago. Uh, when we really started to work on the rebuild um, in earnest, and so, so Mike and I, it um, Mike and I are quote unquote on staff with the list apart. There are, you know, maybe twelve to eighteen people on staff with the list apart, but that really just means um, 
it's it's a it's mostly a labor of love. There are stipends and authors get paid and editors get paid and you know we get paid a bit. It's but it's you know it's not a living. We do it because we love a list apart and we want to be a part of the community that's around it. Um, so yeah, so it was about a six month process um, to design and, and rebuild the site and we relaunched it uh, early last year. Yeah, and it's still Expression Engine, or did you even move that? Still Expression Engine. We moved it from one point, I think it was even on like 1.4, uh, and then we moved it uh, to 2 point, I want to say 2.5, and I think this weekend I'm going to upgrade it to the latest version of Expression Engine. Oh, nice. So yes, you do still currently and actively work on it, and it yes, is kind of absolutely. An, an, an ongoing thing. Yeah, yeah. cool. And it has some unique features in it. It sounds like you use Expression Engine for, I don't know, like don't, don't you have like some some interesting little bits of it that I've never seen elsewhere, like embeddable comments, right? Like I instead of being leaving a comment on a list apart and having it just be there forever, I can like I can embed a tweet elsewhere, I can embed a comment elsewhere. That's that's pretty weird and unusual, right? I, I think it is unusual, um, but it's not unusual when you look like when you take it out of the context of a comment. Like we use exactly the same approach that Twitter uses to embed tweets, um, where it's uh, it's you embed a you're basically embedding a block quote um, that acts as a fallback for the script you're also embedding. So if the script fails, the block quote remains, but when the script loads, it replaces the block quote with an iframe that automatically resizes. You know, and that's tricky from a security standpoint, but it's not all that difficult when you actually think about it um, and get it working and can wrap your brain around it. Um, so it's it's unusual to have embeddable comments, but the technology is out there, and like everybody's using this particular technique. Um, and Expression Engine is one of the reasons I love Expression Engine is that you can do just about anything you want to do with it. It's not like it's not like I had to go out and find an embeddable comment plugin or even write an embeddable comment plugin. It was all, it's entirely almost a front end solution, which I can just apply, which I can just build using Expression Engine templates. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, and then I mean, we don't have to dwell on that particular forever, but that, it is kind of interesting, and it segues into some more stuff pretty nicely. So maybe we'll just like, why why would you want to do that? For example, is it is it because they look cool? Like, if I t- take a comment that I left on a list of art, but or does it have some like because it looks like a, a list of art, it has some gravitas, or is there some like? Well, I think we wanted to do it a as a proof of concept. It was something interesting to do. But also, B, um, we wanted a way to reference comments um, without having to cut and paste them. Do you know what I mean? Like, it, right. I think it does add some level of credibility when you're presenting an argument within the context of a blog post to be able to post the actual comment um, instead of just referring to the comment. Yeah, that's a good point. And then um, it's not doesn't exist in it, two places uh, in the database. Then I, I think it makes for for a more dynamic page. Yeah, that's cool. What a cool feature! I, you know, it's one of those things where you kind of hope it catches on because little embeddable bits of comment are are pretty neat. And so, I feel like that 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 segues into your like the fact that you've decided to to go that route. Just just this is it's relevant between me and you, kind of, as you wrote a post about um, using CodePen on a list apart. With a bit of the same philosophy, right? It was kind of like we could just embed a code pen in here, but it's not—it's maybe not as super duper mega future friendly as as the way that we normally approach things. So maybe you could 
right. uh, tell us about how that went down. Well, Alyssa Part is definitely um, wants to be future thinking and wants to be content friendly. And so whenever we try and whenever we're embedding something, um, we think about how it's going to behave in a year or five years or even, you know, 10 years. Even if the website is down and all somebody has is the database, we want that content that we're referring to to be available. Do you know what I mean? Right. I mean, so that, that kind of that, that attitude and thinking kind of permeates the entire culture of a list apart, I would think. Yeah. And it's it's not like we take it to extremes and, you know, won't post something because it doesn't have a future friendly fallback. But it is something we think about. Um, and something like the code pen embed was relatively easy to adjust so that it was, you know, in our opinion, future friendlier than it is. It's a little bit like a tweet is a block quote of the tweet, so it's pretty much a hundred percent of the of the the value and content of that tweet are there, and that's just not yeah. not entirely the case with CodePen, right? There are we, we you know we've tried to make it as good as possible, in which we include like a sentence that kind of describes it, and if you like, for yeah, example, yeah. choose HTML, we'll put the HTML in there for you, but we don't include every yeah. single line of code of that you entirely do to build the thing. I think that's a little extreme in our no, case, totally. or whatever. Yeah. For pens, that would be completely unrealistic. Um, but uh, definitely, your guys' um, the code pen snippet is, is really great the way it, it approaches it, in that if for some reason the pen fails to load on the front end, you don't get nothing. You get a link to the demo on, a, you know, right. on the code pen site, which is really great. Yeah, good. Thanks. I'm glad that's a that's a good approach. And you're and, and I of course endorsed and promoted your idea here. It was, I think your idea was to you know self host an export of the pen for example and then just kind of alt- yeah. alter that fallback content to post to to where you are hosting it so there's just right. no, no chance that this thing can fail and the worst thing that happens there is you know let's say that pen changes a little bit then it's kind of on you to re-export it and re-host the the changed files or whatever but that's you know but but you're right, right. that 10 years from now right. that's going to be a, a, a totally legit i mean i you yeah. know i i'd like to 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 promise you, and it's all my sincerest hope that that embed will work ten years from now. And if it has, if I have anything to do with it, it will. But, uh, but this guarantees it, you know. Right, absolutely, and it is a, just a little bit more work on our end. And like, we could just host the demo. We could just host the demo um, and just click through to it. But the interactiveness of the CodePen widget is is totally worth the extra effort. Yeah. Yeah, I hope so. And 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 you know, there's some advantages too in that it will get better over time and yada yada. Anyway, so that's that's cool. Tim does you do work at monkeydo.biz, you and Mike Pick. Uh New York City work on other sites. So what what is there like a big cool one you're working on right now that's Well, we just recently last month launched the Web at twenty five website, which is uh web at twenty five dot org, which is the official birthday site for the World Wide Web. We actually got to work with um, the W3 to uh, put that out. Wow. It was a lot of fun. Yep. So we were we didn't get to talk to Tim Berners-Lee, but we were very close. Ah. Um, and I, I did have one exciting moment from a front-end developer standpoint as I was walking our client through the, through the CMS we set up for them. And I said, uh, here's where you put your content. You don't have to use P tags, and you can use UL tags and LI tags. You don't have to close the LA tags if you don't want to. We used to have to close them. And he turned to me and he said, yeah, I wrote that specification. <laughs> <laughs> it was nice. a little mind-blowing moment. Yeah, that's pretty sweet. 
Uh, I got to meet Tim Berners-Lee once. I was with uh, I was with Eric Meyer at some conference, and and then and he goes right mm. up to him and starts talking about all this interesting stuff. And then he's doing this series <laughs> of podcasts called The Web Behind, and he was, he would love to come yeah. on and talk about the web. And I'm like, oh, hi, I'm just some asshole. You know, it, just, it was like yeah, right. it was very awkward and shoestary <laughs> moment for me. But of course, Eric did a great job, and it was cool. So, all right, what? Okay, the web at 25, you get all the cool clients. Good well, we get a couple of them, definitely. <laughs> right on. So what, what's going on, Dave? Is there any drama this week we should talk about? I feel no like No drama. I'm going to take a break from drama for a while. I appreciate that the internet gives us something to talk about every single week, but... <laughs> You know, it was feeling a little thick on the drama lately. Maybe we, oh, it is a good week boy. to take a break from that. <laughs> There's a, yeah, I'll stop. I was about to get us in trouble, Chris. Don't do Cause it. Because there's, there's like a Republican that is on the board of a director at a thing. Oh, boy. Yikes. You already did it. We're already in trouble. Whoops. Back out. <laughs> Slippery slip. Here we go. Okay. Moving on. The news and links. Chris, you have a little I link put it in, in here, here, and I, I'm not even sure how old this is, so I'm sorry, James. But I, I think in the past we promised, like, hey, if, did, you, did you level up this weekend? Did you do something cool? Did you, I don't know, spend a bunch of work on something and, and want to show it off? Write us and tell us about it, because it's cool for us to hear, and it's cool to, to share. And I don't know. It's, it's, I think it's nice to celebrate people's successes a little bit. So James Miller wrote in and said that, um, he t- like you know took some time and, and developed a I, yeah I, I forget if James said if it was his first iPhone app or not but it's called Trim literally T R I M and published it to the App Store and it's kind of like his um it's like a list of of de- web developer design news articles blog posts that kind of thing and uh, it's a free app and you can download it and James is proud of it and got it done so congratulations James I, I downloaded it and it's it's you know it's like kind of seems like a hacker news designer news kind of thing but but specifically for web developer stuff and he presumably kind of hand curates the stuff that goes in there so pretty rad good work hey. James congrats James it's always fun to launch stuff. Yeah. I got an email from somebody saying they're going to launch this like JavaScript animation sort of library thing. It looked pretty cool, but pretty cool that uh, it's always fun to like be about to launch something and stuff like that. So, and then actually, That's actually, do it. was one of my New Year's resolutions was to work on smaller projects and launch more things. It's, has how have you here accountability? How have you been doing <laughs> on that? Pretty good. Our first couple of months were taken up with Web at 25, but we are working on two small things that we're hoping to launch in the next couple of months. Nice. Good. We meaning Monkey Dude? Yes. Yeah, cool. That's I'm nice actually, too, right? So it's because a personal project are nice, but it's nice to have at least one other person in it. Yeah, absolutely. I'm actually hammering out my schedule to where I have like a full day to side projects. So it's pretty interesting. Mm. I, oh. I'm not quite in the flow yet, but. It looks like Fridays might be fun days, or well, I think Google really like. Yeah, I don't you're think a little Google over there. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, you need I mean, Google. <laughs> Google's twenty percent was, you know, it wasn't just a nice thing to do. Like that extra spare time is actually time to be creative and time to work on ideas that you don't know if they're going to work, but if you have time to see if they work, then that's a, a fantastic thing because that can turn into something that becomes a full fledged project. I mean, yeah, it's it's kind of even like like there's things I want to do like play with Arduino or 
go buy like an Oculus Rift and whatever, <laughs> just do do some rifting. And then I, there's also things like, uh, you know, just even GitHub issues like on repos that like you just need to triage and get through like, man, like a, a whole day to do that, that you could make some pretty good progress, you know. Um, yeah. And so that's kind of the hope there. You know, there's things like shop talk, like we, we've been tagging all our posts and, but we don't have the tags functionality. So I need to just kind of hammer that out. And so I can make the shop talk site better even. So stuff like that, little housekeeping, gardening, there was a great post. Sorry. This is maybe, can I share a link? Is this a, a Steve, Steve Klabnik, uh, did you read this post, Klabnik? Um, he wrote a post on his blog, which is over on what's that platform, Subtle or something like that? Um, Subtle with a V. Yeah, Subtle. Um, he wrote a blog post on how to be an open source gardener, uh, and. Steve Klabnik did a whole bunch of, uh, uh, he does rails, basically works on rails, rails. Um, and rails was sitting there like looking at 800 issues and just like, how do we, how do we do this? You know, like this is impossible. People are duping issues all over the place. And then like, he was like, so I took a Saturday and a Sunday and I read through every issue. Like, he just spent two days and read through 800 issues and then did it again <laughs> to like categorize them or auto like or not yeah. auto respond, but text expander like, hey, this is stale. I have to close it. If it's still a deal, reopen it. Uh, is If this is a feature request, you should do that on the mailing list. If this is a help request, you need to do that on Stack Overflow. If uh, this is for an older version of Rails, like try and update and see if that's still because it's probably fixed or whatever. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, stuff like that. Like uh, if it has a reproduction against the like master branch or whatever against head, then like, like say like it's still an issue. Cool. I'll flag it as a bug or whatever. So anyway, he just talks about gardening in open source and just the, the fact that you are spending all your, like you almost have to just, like releasing and shipping stuff is super cool, but like most of open source is like gardening, like pulling weeds mm. and and doing boring stuff. So he does a really, it's a really good metaphor. Yeah, it's just such a it's, it's very zen, I guess you might say, just in the sense of just like you just do this over and over, and yeah. then it gets easier as you do it. So and then every once in a while, some vegetables show up. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like you get some features, exactly. The birds pick them, and then <laughs> the thing is, that you need a shotgun, and then uh, no, it's 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 a nice sentiment, and and it's nice that there's some strategies for it and stuff too. But it doesn't get around the fact that it is kind of a, a bummer. You know, you have to spend so much time. It's not a. I didn't. I didn't mean to like totally categorize it as a bummer, but it's it's not as fun as just getting get getting to actually do the work right nobody like relishes their time in github issues you know uh, mm-hmm. but if you do it that's where all the value of your thing is you know if there's two projects and one of them is is like tending to all their issues and, and doing a really good job that way and one that isn't the one that does is is clearly a better product you know because your product gets better through doing all of that Mm-hmm. The shepherding of these bugs. So, so while you're doing it and not relishing that task, you know you can, I don't know, take some solace in knowing that it's making your thing better. 
a couple of months ago, we put the front end of a list apart up on GitHub, and it was an educational experience for me, um, partly to see how interested and excited some people got about it, but also in that there are different, definitely different classes of issues, some which sit around for a while and some which demand immediate attention. And it's hard to get back and, you know, pick at the ones that aren't deal breakers or showstoppers or aren't actually problems or just improvements. Yeah, yeah. Or, Those are the ones it's hard to make time for. I think there's been like things like like uh, in with Fitvid specifically, like in the history, like people would just be like, uh, Vimeo has these black bars on it and it's terrible, you know, and it's like. I, w- I wish I could tell you, like, in the, like, four years, like, Vimeo or YouTube, they've changed what they do, like, a hundred times. Like, they mm-hmm. constantly A-B test, and you might just be the victim of an A-B test. Mm-hmm. And, like, <laughs> so it's just been, it's so you're just kind of like, I have to, like, let this wait and see if other people start complaining or else, like, it's literally not an issue. It'll disappear. And But, unfortunately, that's not the best, like, best whatever response to somebody you know right who has a problem so a very valid problem but just nonetheless yeah yeah Uh, anyway the article is really good recommend you read it um it's been pretty cool just just to think about like i don't know he says like the whole quality of work gets better and you enjoy the repo now that there's not 800 issues maybe there's only 100 issues but at least that's stuff you can work on and fix, you know, like now you have like low hanging fruit after you've pruned the tree or whatever. So <laughs> anyway. it's all metaphors today. Well, Obama just joined the chat room. He's offering websites to people. <laughs> sounds, like <a> good, <laughs> sounds like a good deal. You should take him up on that. That's really he, good. He's yeah. got good websites. Yeah. He's got this uh, pretty famous one. Lots of traffic, 7 million users. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't build that one, though. Kathleen oh. Sebelius built that one. Oh, yeah, yeah. I guess she didn't. She quit. All right. Well, there you go. <laughs> All right. Chris, did you have anything else? Um, you know what? I'm going to do two things. I'm going to first of all say I, I happen to not be at my normal desk today, which is, you know, a little unusual for us indoor kids, you know, but I'm down in Tampa, Florida, and I'm at the, the offices of two friends of mine, the uh, 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 Chris and Ryan Campbell, who are doing this. They they were the two, two of the co-founders of Wufu, right, which we've, we've talked about before. I'm kind of my alma mater into the web thing, but they're doing this really cool uh, competition against each other. And it's at battleofbrothers.com. I'll drop it in the show notes and in chat room but it's like they're both gonna like make a game over the course of one year wow. uh yeah and like whoever has mm. the coolest game that's what they'll uh you know they, that person wins or whatever but then they'll they'll kind of put their weight behind that game and and make better and expand and stuff but, but what's cool about it is not only they're doing it but they're going to kind of blog and talk their way and educate people on their journey of making this game so it's kind of this site that's kind of split in half half chris half ryan then they're they're two separate blogs and stuff it's pretty it's a pretty rad idea so if you're interested Whoa. in game development and want to learn about that they're like uh, posting their budgets and timelines and stuff too yep yep wow Pretty cool. Drugs. Yeah, this I saw great. some of the. I saw both of their early, early, early development game stuff this morning, and I'm like, wow, it's so cool. It's like diving into a you know totally unknown world, you know. Whoa, cool, awesome. Uh, who gets to decide who wins? It's the it's profitability only. Which game made <laughs> which game made more money? That's awesome. <laughs> That's very cool. 
Mm-hmm. So then your pricing structure falls. Okay, I'm interested. Yeah. I'm interested. So are you going to build threes and sell it for a buck ninety nine, or are you going to build, you know, Angry Birds and sell it for six dollars or whatever? Yeah, that's a good point. I, yeah, yeah, that's um, surely a big a big part of it. I would think that popularity is you know whatever going to be the the bigger deal, but maybe not. Uh, okay. So then oh, well, I thought we'll do a sponsor too. While we're up here, we got uh, a, B- a brand new sponsor to us is BD Comp, and, and they've been around a while and kind of, uh, changed ownership to, to Gene and Geo and Jay, those guys that do unmatched style and, and then have their own conferences. They're, they kind of smush together with, uh, so they do converge, but now they're doing all the breaking development too. And I'm very stoked about it because they just run incredible conferences and BD Comp is already awesome. So plus they're awesome. It's going to be even cooler. BD stands for breaking development in there. Um, there, you know, it's kind of about how do we live in this multi-device world. But the talks are, you know, they're largely around that, but but are are, are varied. And um, so go to bdconf.com. They have one coming up in Nashville, July 28th through 30th. Uh, and then if you miss that, or if it's you know too far for you, whatever they have one November third through fifth in in uh, Orlando too. So they're they're three day things, and they're in these really cool big dome things. You're gonna want to check out the location of it. it's pretty cool. But the people are speaking at are people you'll recognize from the show: uh, Wilto, Jen Lucas. Laura Swanson, Ben Callahan, all people that have been on the show before. So um, you'll love going down to BD Comp. It is quite the vacation ad- nerd adventure. Please go. Shop Talk Show will save you 100 bucks off your ticket, too. So it's a single track thing, too, as I know some people care about that. You know, it's one of those things where you go and everybody's going to kind of learn the same thing, a, a picked, curated adventure through web development. Ah, what else should you got? Good. Yep. Uh, yep. No, I'm good. I guess we should get into the meat and potatoes here. We, we should start getting into this. Here mm-hmm. we go. We have a question from Afi Colorat. Writes in. Please, could you explain why you do why you would use GitHub over Bitbucket when the private repos are cheap, clearly cheaper with a team and personally with uh, Bitbucket. Why would you not just use the free service and use any GUI you want to access your private and non-private repos? So he puts like the github.com slash pricing and bitbucket.org slash plans to so for, the deal for is comparison. Bitbucket, clearly cheaper, right? So why, why and, and, and they even have free private domains, I think, on Bitbucket. Like what? Why is it that anybody would use GitHub instead of instead of Bitbucket? What do you think, Tim? GitHub has an amazing user base, which you can't interact with on Bitbucket. Um, I have only used Bitbucket only briefly, and I haven't used it on, a, on an actual project, so I don't know a whole lot about you know the user base there and how easy they make it to communicate. But that's the selling point for me on GitHub is. Everybody I know is there. Everybody I work with is there. Anytime I kick, I start up a project on GitHub, all I have to do is is just find all their users. I don't have to invite them to GitHub. I don't have to tell them how it works. I just have to. I don't have to. I just have to assign them to the project, and we can just get going. Um, I right. would hope. I would think that Bitbucket also has similar issues uh, functionality as GitHub does, but I haven't tried it. But that's also the other thing. Like GitHub's issues are reasons I've stopped using other issue tracking services. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, so for me, the big sellings sellers for GitHub are issues and and the user base. 
Yeah, it's social. I think in a word is is a big part of it, right? They have the everybody you know is there. Just like you know, what was that Twitter clone? Like you know, like Twitter for people with fifty bucks or whatever. Like, yeah, app.net. Yeah, which I'm surely is a great, <laughs> a great product and a good business model and all that stuff. But all your friends aren't there yet, so it just doesn't. You right. know, it follows the ebb and flow. I mean, that's why people hung out on MySpace for so long is because your friends are there, and it was a slow evolution away from it. Just like that will always be the case. You know, it follows the people, and sometimes that's a slow thing to move. But right now, there isn't anything that's contesting GitHub's social feature stuff. Uh, and that's why I like it. And, and the issues, too. So, I, I mean, 100% agreement. It's the, it's the social, and it's the issues. I have begun to add Bitbucket to my workflow, but as a backup. Um, the day we were about to launch, uh, or the day we were going to launch the Web at 25 site, um, GitHub went down for about an hour and 20 minutes. So that was a little nerve wracking. Um, if we'd also been pushing to Bitbucket, it wouldn't have been a problem. Yeah. Uh, yeah. All this to say, I, there's no, nothing wrong with Bitbucket at all. If, if price is very sensitive to you, uh, use it. I don't care, you know, <laughs> or if you Absolutely. don't, if you don't need the social features, fine. You want some private for free. Good. You use Jira anyway. Good, use it because it's more integrated than, than GitHub. I'm sure it's a great product. I think Atlassian is kind of turning themselves around. What is that? Don't they do some chat thing that everybody uses? Hip chat. Yeah, Hip everybody's chat. on that. So I feel like, you know, good company, whatever, use it. I just, you know, for, for most of us in this industry, I think you should probably have some familiarity and be on GitHub because, you know, what if Tim has a new project and he could use your expertise on it? You know, all he's got to do is type in your name and boom, you're working with him on a, on a project, you know, and there's a, there's an immense amount of value to the, the socialness of that. Even getting your repo found. I mean, when I'm looking for code things like, you know, node screenshot app, like I'll go type that in GitHub, not in Google. So well, like, I was just going to say, I can't remember a Bitbucket repo ever showing up in Google results for you know, jQuery fancy thing. I don't, I don't think they have do. like a public world for it. I mean, I, I oh, okay. I don't know well, that they're that's, all. That's another huge reason for me to want to support GitHub. Right. The it's social coding. Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That That's interesting though. It's like, what does it mean to have a public repo on Bitbucket then? Like, is there any sort of public page for it? I want to say there has to be, I've, I've come across some for sure, mm. but, but here, but I guess like, yeah, you guys already said all the thing, the issues it, for me, like I could keep all my client projects over on Bitbucket and like save a bunch of money, you know, like, you know, top secret client one, top secret client two, and that'd be really great. But, you know, if, if I enjoy GitHub and I enjoy the features and in, in, in that environment and that ecosystem, then I should probably hang out there. Um, and, and yeah, it, it seems like very, uh, I, I'm just going to support them. I will lose some money in the long run, but I don't really consider it losing money since I'm like paying them to maintain their software. Again, like right. cheap isn't always good. I, and I'm not saying Bitbucket isn't good, but I'm saying like, <laughs> I'm saying like, I don't mind giving an extra $10 to a company. I really like, I well, enjoy it, their product, right? Like, being in business requires expenses, so um, this completely falls in with falls within the realm of you know an expensable cost, you know yeah. something you can write off, something that your business can write off. 
Or like, why would you ever smoke Marlboros when like you could <laughs> like pull some leaves off the tree or something? You know, I mean, that's like it's kind of this brand, right? Like, or, I'm not I'm not familiar with Marlboros, yeah, but, but, I, but I get your point. Marlboro, Dave. <laughs> I had I, I, rule number one is always stick to every analogy you ever give. <laughs> Defend it to death. I'm good. Yeah. Alboros are good. Um, Alboros. Dan Pischitello Pish- writes in, how do you prescribe handling various content styles given within a, within a given module? Things like font size, color, and bottom margins. Do you class every single P tag? Do you put a content style class on the mod body and, and descend select the P's. Um, handling various content styles is the foggiest part of OOCSS to me. Do we resort to P1, P2, P3 classes? What do you recommend? So um, let's take an example of, you know, I don't know, there's there's a sidebar and there's two different kinds of modules in there. One of them is a, you know recent news and one of them is uh, I don't know if it's a photo grid or something like that, but there's a you know there's a there's a paragraph at the bottom of it that explains what it is. So you could you can imagine that those two modules have some different typography. They have di- there's just different numbers, different styling that applies to them. So Dan is wondering like how do you how do you how do you do that? Do do we literally put classes right on paragraph tags, right on list items, or do we just kind of put a class name on the entire module and then write selectors underneath it? I mean, certainly both of those ways will technically work, but what's like the kind of normal way to do it, or is there a prescribed way to do it through OCSS, or how do you guys do it? Any thoughts? I, I personally give everything an ID, so it's li id one. <laughs> so. Nope, I'm just kidding. Don't do that. Mm-hmm. That's like the snowflake metaphor, how they're all different. <laughs> uh, Tim, how do you do it? I will generally use um, descendant selectors. You know, Obviously, I think putting classes on every different P in every different kind of place is, is a little nutty. Um, but I, I use descendant selectors mostly, but when it comes to specific content modules and content types... Um, I will use child selectors um, because I find that it, it more rigorously enforces the styles um, that so you're saying chi- are child into instead the of descendants, like the arrow. Yeah, in certain circumstances, mm-hmm. um, like if I if for a list apart, if I see some, uh, I'm using so I've got there's the main article element, and then there are p tags within the article element. If I use child selectors instead of just a de- just a descendant selector. If I see some wonky text, I know that either the CMS or the editor has done something that I'd rather they didn't do. Um, so it lets me go back in and figure out what went wrong in the workflow um, to give me that extra P that I didn't want in there. Um, but that only works when you can really um, be strict about the content that's going onto the page. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a that's. What, oh, go ahead, Dave. Oh, I, I'm in the P tag example. Like, I I usually have a like a base style for a P tag. It has whatever line height. Well, it doesn't even have a line height. It inherits the body line height, and then it has a margin bottom of like 1.5 m units or something like that. That's kind of like where like my baseline. And then if like this component, let's say a sidebar widget, you know, because those are always weird, and you do weird custom art direction in those things. 
that's where I'll override the style if I need to. Um, I, it's kind of like... That's partly where I like child selectors because I don't have to override anything if I'm talking about a p-tag in an aside. I don't have to override the general article styles. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you just have to. You're just doing like aside arrow p or something like that. Or, if, right. If the aside has a p in it in this yeah. example. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I mean that's like I think it's it's a, when you guys say it's like the minimum viable CSS or whatever, whatever the shortest rule possible gets the job done. That should be it, unless yeah. it's an ID. But <laughs> oh, it's, stick to classes if you can. I guess that's how I kind of try to do it, but. Um, but I don't yeah. think that P1, P2, P3 thing is smart. I, I think you kind of like no. need, I think you just need to like figure out how many different paragraphs you have. If you have more than five different paragraphs, maybe like uh, stare at yourself in a mirror for a while and ask yourself why. Uh, but well, but are, we, are we talking about, are we talking about paragraph styles within an individual um, like article or are we talking about, this paragraph in an article versus this paragraph in a summary versus this paragraph in a probably know, the latter a, co- a copyright page yeah yeah I mean in, in that case I, I wouldn't want to have to put anything on the p tag um, you govern the style of the p tag through the parent and the parent sets the context yeah, yeah that's that's how I approach it too definitely not I, I avoid putting class names on any any like primarily text node period pretty much unless it's a extreme case where i need a hook on it because it's really a a unique <laughs> one-offy kind of thing otherwise right. I, I don't i think if i were to look at my whole code base there's very few straight up p's and li's and stuff with actual classes on them it's almost always a, a parent up or a, even a parent up from that in in most cases and i tend to just name things as i as i as I feel like it, because I I often work alone on stuff, so I'll just be like, that's a that's a module that's got some stuff inside, it, and I'll take Tim's approach, or I'll just put a class on the on the thing that generally wraps up that thing, and and then style with either descendant or child selectors inside of there if things need to change, and so. You know, maybe headers occasionally sometimes have classes because I don't know. Just that it just tends to be that way that you might need a special header here or there, and and then a class name override is is kind of nice in those cases. That's about it. You know, just n- n- calls it like you sees it with a class. <laughs> yeah. All right. Cool. I think we answered that. Thank you very much for writing in, Dan. Hopefully that helps you in your OOCSS journey. Next yeah. question. Let me do a let me do the uh, environments for humans artifact yeah. conf too. So awesome. so that one's that's one that that Dave himself will be speaking at here, and it's coming up very very soon. So as you're listening to this, it's uh, the actual event itself takes place May fifth through seventh. So if you're in Austin or somewhere in the near Texas area, you have no excuse not to be at this thing. Uh, it's going to be fantastic. It's three days, May fifth through seventh. Like I said, go to artifactconf.com and specifically the Austin one. Go to slash Austin, but of course you can get there just. From Artifact Conf itself, and Trent Walton will be there. So it looks like two thirds of Paravel will be there. Hey. Jeremy Keith, Brad Frost, Josh Clark, Jen Sim, or um, uh, Jen Robbins, who I have read. She has an excellent book about learning HTML and CSS. I don't know. I wish I was going to. I'm missing this one, unfortunately. What were we gonna say, Dave? Oh, I was just saying you get to hang out with people like uh, Brent Frost and Jimmy <laughs> Keith. <laughs> <laughs> Ugh. That's good. Those guys and their mustaches. 
Yeah. Uh, yep. hundred bucks off shop talk show for the thing. So if you happen to miss this artifact, um, is coming to, to gosh, where is it? Providence, right? That's the other place they do it. Providence, Rhode Island, September 29th through October 1st. So, and they kind of have a recurring, re- recurring cast of characters that speak at artifacts. So you'll be able to see a lot of the same people. If you go to that one, if you happen to miss the Austin one, but we want you at Austin, come to Austin, come to Austin, please. I like that there's going to be a bunch of case studies at it. I think that's kind of cool. So some of the talks at Artifact are going to be like from people who worked on the TechCrunch redesign or an entertainment entertainment weekly redesign. So it's kind of going to be like, this is what we actually did to build their actual website. And let me share you some knowledge from that, which I think is nice. You know, I Mm -hmm. I like theoretical stuff too, but I, I I like it when there's always something that's like, here, here's some stuff that's way real. Yep. Should be really good. Uh, All right, next question comes from Liam H. Writes in, I recently got a certificate for completing a short online course in the Google Analytics Academy. I have been using Google Analytics for years, and this seems like a good way of getting proof of skills in that area. Do you think that certificates such as this are of value when looking for a job? Is it worth finding and completing courses that verify, quote unquote, the assortment of web-related skills that I have? Tim certifications or no certification? That's a good question. And I, I don't really feel like I'm qualified to answer, you know, as, as somebody who, who uh, basically taught themselves everything they know, I'm skeptical. But on the other hand, approaching it from the standpoint of, you know, an HR person, that sort of thing is probably a really helpful tool. Yeah, that's a, I mean that's a fair answer. I mean what if you're going to expand to three people someday at your job and somebody came in with a stack of certificates would they would your skepticism right. would your skepticism outweigh that? Well, would you be like Gross. I, I think my yeah, I think my skepticism would be more pointed toward the the certification itself. Like I would have to do research on the certification and make sure that they're you know, they're not the the Phoenix University of of Google Analytics and just <laughs> just churning out churning out diplomas. Yeah. Well, that's, I think, yeah, that would be the big thing is don't get a BS certificate that no one's ever heard of. Like the Google Analytics one is a good one because that's like. Because Google gives it to you. That's right? a Google thing. <laughs> well, in like if you're looking for an analytics job or you want that to be part of your job, like that's really helpful, right? Yeah. That's, I, that sort of says like I'm actually yeah. more competent than a dude who just installed it on his blog. Yeah. I am like I think knowledgeable. That, that analytics one as somebody who's worked with analytics basically since it came out and is by no means an expert. Um, that's the sort of thing that I would be excited to see, especially if it came from Google, you know, it's the, it's other certificates like HTML and CSS three and XHTML certifications that, that I might stop and question a little bit. Yep. And Liam did not sound in this question like he is bummed out about his, his certificate. He just is like, I got it. So do people care about it or not? So I would think that if Liam felt that he was like bummed out about it or, or whatever, that he would have had a more negative tone. So it sounds like you took the course and you got something out of it, Liam, and that's even more important. The fact that you you learned from it is awesome and you know, don't let anybody take that away from you, skepticism or no. Well, and, and there's been like other areas, like the accessibility community was kind of talking about maybe doing formal certification and stuff like that. And, and, you know, I'm kind of like, like my, my heart is everyone needs to know how to do that at, to some degree, but 
you know, it does actually kind of make sense. Like it's just to say like, no, actually like this person has actually studied up on it. And like, it's, or, or it's very important if you are trying to hire an accessibility specialist to know they've been vetted uh, or, or if Microsoft does that for the, the um, like Microsoft certified developer. If you were a Microsoft shop, you'd probably want to have that, you know, I don't know. I'm thinking, uh, you know, code or code Academy and Treehouse, Those are probably our front end versions of it. Right. Like, you know, if you know nothing about the person, like, well, how many treehouse badges do you have? Mm. That might help. I don't know. Just... Yeah, I yeah. don't know, guys. I don't know. I think that was that was a, that was a fair answer. And Liam, do do note that that I think I think if you took a poll of people in our industry, I think most people are going to be a little bit down on certificates. You know, Cer- certainly nobody's going to be like super stoked and proud and like worshiping you for the certificates that you get, but. Like I said, if you learned a lot from taking them, that that's kind of okay. And I don't know. I don't think. Yeah. It, oh, well, and yeah. and I, I do think this particular one is is interesting. Yeah. Um, because there's a lot to learn about analytics that I have not learned, and you know, somebody who has taken that course that would be interesting to me. You know, that's somebody I think I would feel confident confident about turning to and saying, "Hey, I've got a project that really needs some analytics help. Can I bring you on?" Yeah. Yeah. Um. Let's 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 do this question by Ariel Infante. It's just kind of a very specific question about a very specific website, but it's something I'm sure we can morph the conversation into. So the, uh, Ariel wrote in, "Hey Shop Talk, I came across this website unfold.no. So if you feel like checking it out in your browser, go to unfold.no. And I was wondering how they make their website scroll indefinitely around in a circle. So not a circle like literally a circle like angles 360 degree around, but as you get to the bottom of this particular website, I'm just explaining this now, it's kind of mm. like it just keeps going. And it's, it's kind of like it just keeps going and going and going, but it just like it kind of just went to the top. So yeah, for, for a, us looking a, at what's that? Trick. Yeah, it, it is right pretty now. good because it, it's 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 tricky because of how smooth it is. Like you really don't even notice that it happened. Like you're, you're like momentum scrolling, even will scroll right through it with momentum, and that's that's crazy. Yeah, I don't know. it's pretty slick. I I'm gonna guess that they this is the cheap answer. I'm gonna guess that they found a, a jQuery plugin that does this for them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Dave. <laughs> uh, Sounds like my yeah Looper JS. Um, well, so first of all, they made they probably made the bottom of the website and the top of the website look the same, right? That's, that's yeah. But how do you do it. that when you don't know what the viewport size is, or or is it easier than I'm thinking of? You know, I think I think I don't think that's a concern. I think as soon as you get to the bottom of the page, all you have to do is jump back up to the top. And I think like, Chris, scroll top I think you're right. Zero. Yeah, I think you're right. The bottom and the top are exactly the same. They have the same mirrored photo. But then how are they doing the where you get you go all the way through and you get jump to the top. I see my scroll bar shoot back up. But if I scroll up, I go to the bottom. How? <laughs> <laughs> well, you detect the scroll up and then yeah. and then well, immediately move the scroll, scroll position top, to yeah. the bottom. Zero, zero or something like that. It'll go to the yeah. bottom. It's, it's worth exploring because I wouldn't have thought like I think that would be the answer is just as soon as you get to, you know, page height whatever the page height is as soon as you get to the bottom of that you just go back to the top and and vice versa like that seems simple but i wouldn't have thought the scroll momentum would have kept going 
Yeah, the scroll yeah. momentum is the trickiest part. That's beautiful. Yeah, that's what that's what sells it. That's what makes it smooth. Right. Uh, the answer is jQuery, Ariel. <laughs> definitely, <laughs> definitely jQuery. Ten plugins. Um, <laughs> I, so it looks. Let's see. Hold on. I think I looked at this. So I think what's happening. Do do do. If you scroll, if you scroll the main section, I'm scrolling in the top is changing. So I think when you scroll, you're actually just scrolling the top value. And then some opacity starts kicking in. What? They start fading it out or in? That's probably part of just the parallax stuff that's going that's on, which parallax. is which is unrelated to this. Thing. The parallax is cool too, but this is... Well, they, they made another interesting choice in that when you first load the page... Um, you're, the scroll bar is in the middle. Like the, the the thing that we first see when the page loads is actually in the middle of the page. Oh, um, you're right. Because I'm yeah, not sure. I'm sure that's related. I'm though. not. I'm not sure why. I'm not sure why. There's probably some interesting choice that they made there, but I'm not sure why. Um, right. Oh, I bet the answer is so that you, when you first load the page, you can scroll up or down and see different content. Yeah, but that's too easy. I bet there's. A, I bet it avoided some bug. That's what it smells like. Seems like they're infinite scroll. So Grego's visuals in the chat room is saying uh, infinite scroll dot viewport dot scroll top five. So at some point they're checking, they're polling, and then they'll scroll top to the fifth pixel, which maybe that's how it's keeping momentum. But that is crazy that it keeps momentum. That's wild. Yeah, I'd, I'd be interested to know if that's a feature of the script or if that's that's actually a feature of if that's just how the browser behaves. Like, like it, it will continue scrolling momentum. Right. It if, doesn't care that we've changed the viewport position. It'll just keep scrolling. Right. So I could do like a set timeout to whatever pixel on height I want, and it would just keep the momentum going. Yeah. Sort of. Okay. Huh. Whoa, whoa, whoa. All right. That's pretty cool. Um, hey. I hadn't yeah. seen that little trick before. Good question. <laughs> Uh, I saw. Well, I think I saw Jeremy Keith tweet. It was like I've seen some of the best minds of our generation trying to figure out how to hijack our scrolling. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's kind of true, and, and, and which is funny because it's like it seems like oh, sad. What a waste of smart people to work on this. But I think they're attracted to it because it's such because it's complicated. You know, mm-hmm. it's fun to yeah. it's fun to screw with. So let's do another one. What do you think, Dave? Yeah, let's go. Uh, here's one from Dave McCallum. David McCallum writes in Safari Reader. Dash, how does it determine the relative content and what to display and what article length it, does it kick in? I have a simple site at... Uh, Something, think, go on. Is this Earl Drudge? Anyway, so here, uh, divided into articles, but only one is picked up by reader. I have tried sections, but no go. So what uh, David is talking about is when you open up Safari and you go to a website, like a list apart, for example... And you just decide that you don't want to look at the design as it is on the page. You want to look at it in super Safari reader style. <laughs> that was a terrible way to describe it. But it strips away everything of the page. <laughs> it, it algorithmically decides to what the content is and then displays it like that as if you were reading it in, a, for example, an RSS reader. Can you picture that? Like readability mm-hmm. used to do that until they're not a thing anymore? Instapaper light or whatever probably does something. Yeah. Readability is, is actually still a thing. 
Is it? Um, it is. Um, and I happen to know that when Safari first added this type of feature to the to uh, when Apple first added this feature to the browser, they used the readability engine. Oh, interesting. Well, yep. ha So readability so, is they don't pay people anymore. That thing is gone, but the thing that thing is the, gone. Yes. But the, but, yes. the, but, but the, the, the readability stuff. engine and the readability API is still um, available and is still uh, available as um, as a software as a service service. Okay. Um, uh, so people like um, I, I don't know any good examples, but there are people who pay readability to run content through their engine, and then there are still users like you and I who can still use the readability and you know readability service. You know, nice. Which tool. is nice. Yeah. It's a lo- it's like Insta yeah. Vapor. You're like, I want to read this later, yeah. and so you click a button, and then it goes to your app, yeah. and then you I don't know, theoretically read it. Right. A good yep. example is Tweetbot. Tweetbot has you know you can authorize with readability in Tweetbot. Okay. Uh, and then Tweetbot will send content to some. You can use if this then that to yeah. send the content to some other thing. And it's a little hairy, um, like, uh, you know, moralistically and stuff. People are a little weird about it because it's like, hey, I write this website and I, I write this content and I publish it on my site. And now some, pe- some people are going to. And when Tim says engine, it's some kind of algorithm or something that figures out what that content is through analyzing yeah. it. So it knows what's an ad and it's not going to put that there. It knows what's a side-like content. It knows what's a footer and header. And it doesn't include that. It just includes the article only. Um, so I guess just back to the question a little bit how, how do, do we have any guesses as to how that works and let's say you're an author and you on purpose want it to work well with something like readability or safari yeah. reader how do you do that i'm looking for the readability had um had class names some, i would suspect yes well readability used i think they they mostly leveraged the h news uh, microformat specification h entry would be mm. the right or the, like that's yeah, I can't remember out. exactly which one it was, but it's been a it's been a couple months since I've read up on it. But if you dig into readability site, um, there is a oh yes, if you go into the footer, there's a developers column, and at the bottom of that column is a content, uh, or sorry, is a content guide, um, which shows you a really concrete example of a marked up article with all of the classes and other various attributes you're going to want to put on your content so that readability and other similar services um, can get to can figure out what on your page is content and what's not. There you go. I H- wouldn't be surprised entry, if they title. offer some, uh, like, like get, don't make sure to not put this. Yeah, they do have one, entry unrelated. So if you're like, if something's yeah. showing up in there that you are like, crap, I want to make sure it ignores that, you can put that class Right, exactly. So Which like is, if you know it, what? If it's, if it's an ad or something that's promoting other content on your site, yeah. you don't necessarily want the people right. who are readability-ing the site, the article, to, to see that. Yeah. Be gonced. That's what class names are for, people. So, in in the fact that you know, uh, David was specifically asking about Safari Reader, but we know that Safari Reader used some of Readability. I, I would I would guess that if you follow this guide on readability.com, uh, that it will probably work for you. It's at least a place to start. Yeah, yeah. And he was saying on his site, yeah, the, it's readability.com developers guidelines. But um, he was saying he has a site subdivided into articles but only one is picked up by reader um that makes me think that you like the intent for reader or whatever is to just read one article it's not going to like 
lazy format your whole page, it's going to probably just get select the first article. It right. Finds That's a good yeah. point. Something. That's probably why it's doing that to you, David, is that it's not meant to pick up an entire homepage full of articles. It's meant for one article. Yeah, that's absolutely true. If, and if you were to trigger readability on like his homepage with all these articles on it, it would probably say, this looks like it's got more than one article. Are you sure you want us to parse it? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's nice. Good for yeah. them. It probably just finds the longest chunk of content, like the thing with the most P tags, and is like, yeah, that's probably the article. So yeah. there you go. I'll work on that one. And then, <laughs> so that's that's how I would do my job. Let's do one more. I'll, let's what well, we can keep it pretty quick. Um, Don Gepps writes in. Hello, guys. I, I saw this new Bootstrap theme slash framework. So apparently, it's a it's a theme for Bootstrap. So you apparently use all the same classes and stuff for Boombrack, but you put this on top of it. It costs two hundred and fifty bucks. So it's at designmodo.com slash startup. And it has dozens of pre-made components that you combine like a puzzle to create a website. So you know, here's a calendar widget here's i don't know whatever an article a slider a drop down whatever this looks pretty good at first on how they present it in their video but as when i started using it i was disappointed in it it, because because this is the important part i think it took away from the fun of making websites so my question is what do you think of these type of products are they what are your thoughts about buying and editing themes uh and and price is a concern for don as well so uh, I, I thought that was kind of interesting. It wasn't, I'm disappointed because I found it hard to use. It was almost the opposite. Like, this is so good and so easy <laughs> that it, this web design isn't Makes fun for me anymore. fun, yeah. <laughs> what, what do we think of that? What do you think when you hear something like that, Tim? I don't know. Uh, I really am of two minds. One, I can completely... Uh, sympathize with the with the wanting to build things and wanting to and not just wanting to build things but wanting to build the thing I want to build instead of the thing that this widget wants me to build um, or the thing that WordPress wants me to build but on the other hand right. it's nice that people can make a living building simple websites do you know what I mean mm-hmm. and, and, it, it and by simple I mean can can get can get lots of interesting functionality out of a box Right. And uh, yeah, I've, I've, I occasionally struggle with the idea of like, there's, there's, there's a lot of kind of normal best practices in design. I mean, you know, why is it that headers are at the top? Why do we put navigation up there? Why do we put footer links in the body? I don't know, because having some standards like that is effective. We know that it works. It, it proves over and over, you know, the, so how many times do we need to design the same header on the top, footer on the bottom kind of site? Like how many times is it necessary for human man hours to be put into that kind of thing? Wouldn't it just be nice if there are some kind of standardized components that we could build websites from? And and then I understand that that's at odds with, you know, but what about, you know, the uniqueness of web designs and, you know, shouldn't I be involved in every little tiny pixel aspect of it because I'm a designer and I know better and that kind of thing. I realize those those are at odds, but, but I, but I think I, that like 90% of the small businesses, you know, probably around the world don't do business online. They just want some presence online. Okay. Um, and so, so tools like this are fantastic for quick, quick, you know, brochure wear sure. style sites, which just tell you about the company tell you how to get in touch and show you what we do. 
Yep, and it's and it's invaluable that they they did that. And those those might even be more well served by something like Verb or Squarespace when when that's even less work. Totally. And then this fills totally. a niche in between that where it's kind of like we need something a little more customized, yeah. but we also don't yeah. want to spend all day in it. So yeah. boot, Bootstrap launched yeah. because you know became a thing because of that. So anyway, mm-hmm. but I don't know, like I, guess, I said, I guess, I'm of I'm of two minds about it um, mm-hmm. because I am a developer and I and I. I don't want expectations to be set too low for when my clients come to me and say, well, why can't we just use WordPress and do this $5 thing? Yeah. Yeah. Right. That's tough. And hopefully you can defend yourself and I'm sure that, you know, you can generally. (laughs) Yeah. I think it's interesting. This, this is interesting. Like, so this is for startups, right? To like this kind of the thing. It's like the classic startup promo page, you know? Um, so like if you're a startup and you're bootstrapping like or you took VC and you don't want to pay an actual like agency or designer to do your website and that's totally your decision like you can use this and have a website pretty simply built with all these like kind of I don't know layers of a sandwich from from the like style guide or the template thing mm-hmm. that like that's cool but I, it's also this like is it a catch 22 where like you use this tool to like be cheap, but then if all the other startups use this tool to be cheap, like then all the websites look the same and then you don't stand out as a startup and that could actually hurt you as a startup, even though you tried to save money, which could help you as a startup there. Think about that. Yeah. There are so many 22s to be caught around the world today. Yeah. At least 22. All right, good, good stuff, folks. It was good to get. It's good to get to dig into some some front end stuff again. Yeah, it's been a while. People, uh, people want that meat. They want that those potatoes. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll wrap it up here. Tim, thank you so much for taking time out of your day, sitting down, talking with us. Uh, but My pleasure. Just, before we let you go, how can people follow you, get in touch with you, give you money, and then what's one thing you'd like to plug? Um, well, uh, my partner and I have a website at monkeydo.biz. Uh, I can be found on Twitter at Murta. That's M-U-R-T-A-U-G-H. Um, I don't have anything to plug at the moment. It but could be totally random. It could just be something you saw. Well, we, no. Uh, no. I okay. have nothing. All right. I'm, we'll I, do a delayed head, plug my, for you. How about that? You know, okay. you, my, head is you totally in these, yeah, my head is totally in a couple projects that are a couple of weeks away from, from being ready to go. Oh, well, there you go. Sit, sit around, follow Tim and, and look out for those projects. Thank you very much, Tim. And uh, thank you everyone for coming out into the chat room, uh, giving us facts and information. We really appreciate that. Thank you for downloading this and your podcatcher of choice. Be sure to rate us up. And if anyone knows a good Android podcatcher uh people were asking so uh we'd love to help them out and find a good one and then uh be sure to follow us at shop talk show on twitter and uh chris you got anything else mm-hmm. shop talk show.com <laughs>